All right, hello everyone. Welcome back to the Black and Highly Dangerous podcast. Today we have a very special guest joining us, Candice Gaines. How are you doing today, Candice? Hello, I'm well. Thanks for asking. How about yourself? Doing all right. Doing all right. Um, Daph, how are you doing today? <laughs> doing pretty good. I cannot complain, and I'm I'm really excited to talk a little crime investigation. Yes, 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 yes. So um, I'm sure for our listeners, you probably don't know, but uh, we linked up with Candice um, through social media. And she put me on to her podcast called Crime Noir, which is a really, really cool podcast. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, but before we get to your podcast, Candice, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, kind of who you are, what you do, things you like to do, et cetera? Uh, my name is Candice, and in my free time, I like to play with my dog. Um, <laughs> I like to binge watch Netflix. And I like to read a lot. Um, I really like y'all's podcast because I feel like you break down um, facts that I didn't know or couldn't articulate proper. So I just like what you guys do. And I don't know. I'm pretty just laid back, easygoing. Nothing too exciting over here. Well, I mean, I would beg to differ. I've listened to your podcast and it's pretty <laughs> exciting to me. Um <laughs> Yeah, because um, I mean, I'm one of those uh, lifetime discovery ID people. So to hear your take on all of that is cool. So actually, can you share with our listeners a little bit about your podcast and, and what motivated you to start it? Um, so my podcast, Crime the Wall, is a true crime podcast that focus on missing and murdered Black women and men and to include all LGBTQIA. Um, I started my podcast because I felt like there wasn't enough media coverage regarding missing black women and men. And instead of like complaining about it or, you know, just being upset about it, I decided to just build my own platform to give um, light to these cases. I think a lot of times, especially in the social media area, there people have a lot of like words to give but not enough action behind it and I just want to make sure that I'm being intentional with my actions versus just um, complaining so I, I, I'm a go-doer or whatever the thing is versus a complainer so I just decided to start it that way. Nice now do you have like a history of investigating crime or cold cases and stuff like that? Actually I don't I did go to school for forensic science but um, I, I, when I got out of uh, college, I did go work in like a forensic lab and I wasn't interested in that. So now mm -hmm. I don't work in it. So this is like my passion project. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, um, you know, maybe in the future I will work, you know, as a, I don't know. I don't know. I actually like what I do now as a hobby versus being all in the nook and cranny because even just being... Even doing internet research is kind of like toxic, not toxic, that's the wrong word, but it, it could be bad for your mental health, hearing about people being harmed and kidnapped. So I can't even imagine, imagine having to actually work those cases and like see the bodies and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like a healthy balance um, for me. Yeah. That was actually one of the uh, questions I had, like, how do you go about deciding a case and doing the research uh, to inform listeners about it? 
Um, I actually get a lot of suggestions from people online. Um, I reach about 2,000 people each episode. So a lot of people write me in or tag me in um, cases that they want me to cover and they want me to they'll email me. Um, I also have my own cases that I follow that I um, decide to do every now and then. Or I just go with, with whatever I see on the Internet that really sticks to me. I really don't have a message to if I feel like it needs more media attention, then I'm just going to research it. I, I have one follow-up. Did you hear about the big, uh, like, scandal in crime podcasts, um, the crime podcast world last year with, um, I think they're called uh, Crime Junkies, and how, like, their mm-hmm. research process wasn't, or they got called out because they were using other people's, like, cases from their podcast without credit? Did you hear about that? Um, I did hear about that. Um, I've noticed a lot in true crime land. Um, I wouldn't say I'm the first black podcast to cover black cases, but I would definitely say I'm one of the top emerging ones. And I do realize that we get overshadowed for the crime junkies or the more top um, podcasts that are not black-based, if that makes sense. So I'm not really shocked to hear that because like a lot of fields in our country, in our society, Black people are excluded, so it's just not shocking to me that that's going on. I know they never apologized, and I know people feel strongly about how that went down, but they're still getting booked and busy, so it's like people really don't care at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. And, I, and, and to caveat, I always put my sources, <laughs> so... Mm-hmm. You can't call me out on that because I put them in my case notes. And even if I listen to like another podcast um, and I take something from them, I will quote where I got that information from, which is very rare. But I did it on last week's episode. Good practice. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yeah, you got to in this day and age because you just never know. And as you said, as your podcast continues to grow and get bigger and, uh, you know, you got to protect yourself just even for legal reasons. Um, You don't want to get yourself caught up in none of them crazy cases of whatever. Exactly. Uh, Exactly. And yeah, we and we're trying to make sure, you know, what you're doing and you're doing it, you know, sometimes you gotta do it the right way. And again, giving credit where credit is due, that's just the right thing to do regardless. So yeah, it's, uh, you know, shame on those other podcasts, but stealing and, and appropriating as as the white folks tend to do. <laughs> um, well, you know, I mean, it just is what it is. They still they haven't been like shamed or I mean, I guess there's some people who feel very strongly about it, but like I said, they still get invited to conferences and stuff like that. So people are obviously not, you know, that taken up about it. And I don't even think they so much as issued an apology. But again, I don't know. I don't keep up with them. I don't listen to crime junkie and I never have. Mm-hmm. That's not shade. It's just the truth. <laughs> <laughs> nah, yeah, we want you to. We want everyone to listen to Crime Noir anyway. So, um, exactly. Uh, so you know, you've covered a lot of cases, and um, and they're all really fascinating. And I kind of like to ask because sometimes as podcasters, we really don't get to take time on our own podcast to talk about you know what some of our favorite or most eye-opening cases or stories or episodes that we've done so for you what have been some of the more you know of your favorite cases that you've uh, uncovered and discussed on your podcast to yourself um i i get that question a lot when i talk to other um like podcasters or like interviews questions and at first i used to say Relisha rudd but 
now that I've started covering more cases, I feel like all of them kind of resonate with me personally, just because it's like, wow, I couldn't even imagine having a child get kidnapped and I don't ever know where they are or somebody I know is murdered and I never find out who did it. So I think all of them kind of stick with me in a way. And I've also like, I don't know, they just all kind of resonate with me in different ways. But like I said, one of the main reasons why I started this is because um, Melissa Rudd went missing in DC and I didn't feel like it got like the national attention that other cases with like white girls or non-black girls get. And, you know, 20 years later, we're still hearing about John Benet Ramsey and not that she doesn't deserve media attention. It would just be nice to see a more, I guess, even scale in coverage of missing black children. Mm-hmm. So that's just basically how I feel about things. Yeah. It's so interesting because just the other day I came across a, a Facebook video, like a five minute video about the Alexis Murphy case. And so when I saw that you yeah. had a podcast episode on it, I wanted to listen because I had a lot of questions about that case in terms of like, how did that happen? So I, I appreciated that you covered that and provided a little bit of insight that I didn't have from that short video. I was wondering, like, yeah, yeah. I was wondering, like, in your research process, like, have you ever reached out to families? Have you ever talked to them? Like, have they ever been involved with what you do? I actually have talked to families. One of my initiatives for the 2020 is to get more interviews. Um, But with my work schedule and, like, just life, it's really, really hard to kind of correspond that just because I have to research which takes me could take me weeks to do and then I have to set uh, set up appointments and stuff like that so I just want to make sure when I do actually have the leverage to interview families that I'm doing it just right dress it's professional I'm prepared you know I'm making them feel comfortable I mean I have people who hit me up that want to interview and just haven't done it yet but that's definitely something that my listeners can um, look forward to in the near future. Great. Yeah, no, I think that is definitely, I mean, you already have a great podcast, but, you know, as podcasters, you're always looking for ways to enhance and grow and, you know, keep engaging content. I think that for sure is a, is a winner um, whenever you can get around to that. And I'll definitely be on the lookout for that. Um, You know, another question I have, and this is kind of just my researcher mind going uh, when it comes to, you know, you, you, you research these cases and, you have and you, of course, disseminate this information. And oftentimes, even with like qualitative research and stuff like that, what you begin to notice are some trends that you find in each case that are, you know, maybe not be in every case, but generally you're noticing some things. And so as you're looking over these, a lot of these cases involving black people, have you noticed any trends, I guess, compared to mainstream cases that are heard or when things like this are happening at all when it comes to these cases? Hmm, that's a great question. <laughs> um, I have like a very spicy hot take um, and I've said it before on my show is that like sometimes I cover uh, pregnant girls or young women that go missing and they go missing while they're pregnant. And I always have a theory that like if a young girl gets pregnant and she goes missing and her father isn't identified, that something weird has happened. That is, I have no facts to uh you know, back that up. That is just my own mm. <laughs> speculation. So 
I mean, I don't know, y'all. I, that's a great question. And you know what? Let me get back to y'all on that. <laughs> but that's the only thing I've noticed besides, you know, things that could be qualified, like, you know, black people going missing and how they're treated versus white people going missing or whatever. But that's the only other thing that I could think of think of off the top so forgive me for this answer i'll get back to y'all on that because now i'm curious <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and again you don't you know it's a team effort so i'm sure you can ask you know your listeners to help you out as you talk about these cases and if they start to notice things tell them to point it out to you because um, there might be exactly. something there yeah I think... exactly um so that was a good question yeah it was um so for Black History Month, you did like a mini series where you talked about like these historical cases, um, whether it's like a figure or whether it's a thing that has impacted uh, the Black community or the African-American community. Um, and I thought that your lynching episode was particularly relevant considering that lynching was just made a federal crime. Mm-hmm. And there were like actually- this week yes um and there were actually people who voted against it which is crazy um and i thought the craziest part of that episode was that the uh you mentioned like the last lynching was like 1981 or something like that yeah in alabama so i guess can you talk a little bit you know about that episode why you chose that because i think it was interesting that it wasn't necessarily a person but like a, a thing, a situation, a, a phenomena that phenomenon that impacted our community. Uh, to be honest, y'all, I chose that because people like to believe that we are so far beyond that kind of like racial terrorism. And I don't know about you guys as like education and stuff like that, but I know when I was growing up, they made it seem like slavery and like civil rights was so far behind and like black people aren't treated like that and haven't been treated like that for over 400 years and stuff like that when that's not the truth it's actually closer to us than we like to or society likes to realize you know what I mean and those lynchings and just the racial violence that our people and ancestors faced during that time still have implications on how we see society today. So I just wanted to remind people that, you know, yes, we've made a lot of leaps and bounds, but we can't forget the past. Just like we don't ever forget the Holocaust. We don't ever forget September 11th. We don't ever forget any other Pearl Harbor, any other tragedy like that. So why is it that when Black people talk about how we were lit just for being Black or wanting equal rights or wanting to go to the same schools with equal education, that was 700 years ago or that was 60 years, you know what I mean? No, that has impacted us today, just like September 11th impacted us today, you know what I mean? That's why I wanted to do it, because I think sometimes people forget what our people went or what black people went through in America and it's part of our history and we have to talk about these things so that they don't occur again. Yeah, for sure. And you know, 
time and time again, that's uh, my teacher's class, Race, Crime, and Punishment. And we spend a week discussing lynchings. And that's always, to the, for the students, you know, black and white alike, uh, is always one of the more eye-opening um, kind of weeks for them. Uh, for that very same reason that you've just alluded to, is the simple fact that throughout their, histor- their, their education and talking about history, they don't really get told the truth about what lynching was. Uh, It's kind of just like, you know, they understand, okay, people were hung, uh, but they don't understand how barbaric it was in a lot of ways. And you, you know, you really highlighted that in that episode. I mean, they would have like celebrations, like barbecues, you know, kids were there. It wasn't like this kind of one or two people doing, it was communities coming together to do these barbaric acts against black and brown bodies. Um, And not just the hanging, the burning, the cutting of the bodies. I mean, it was just extreme. Like you couldn't even imagine this. If you've seen this in a horror movie, everybody would be completely grossed out, right? And this is actually what was happening in real time. And I was also impressed how you use, and you know, like you said, you do cite your sources and you use the source from, the Equal Justice Initiative. Um, for those of you who don't know, that's Brian Stevenson created that. You know, everybody just talked about his movie, Michael B. Jordan playing Just Mercy, which is based off of his book. Um, and so he created, I think it's the Lynching Memorial or something like that, right, mm-hmm. in Alabama, um, to do that very same thing that you also just discussed, because we have museums on the Holocaust and the barbaric and the tragic things that happened during that time when it comes to white folks. But a lot of that stuff when it comes to black History and black trauma is largely missing. And so um, I think just overall, I'm glad that you spent an episode talking about that and highlight, even though it wasn't about just one specific case, it is something that definitely needs to be talked about. And can I just add that, like, I was going to do, um, so my original thinking was to do, like, lynching victims as my Black History Month series, but it was just too much that I couldn't even summit reading about uh, people being lynched over nothing, over lies, over looking the wrong way, over breathing the wrong way, over somebody. I just couldn't do it. So I, I decided to take it into a different direction because even as a crime blogger or podcaster, like I just, I couldn't digest it because I couldn't even imagine the fear they felt during that time when they're be- literally being lied on or accused of something so small and just getting publicly tortured. That's what it is. It was torture. It was legalized torture. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Sorry, y'all. I'm on a tangent, but it's the truth. No, it's real. I think that I think the term I think that, uh, you know, Brian Stevenson used a lot of time was that kind of racial racial terrorism. Um, and yep. I think that's very mm-hmm. important that the language you use to describe these kind of things for sure. And I think even from the report, one of the things that was interesting to me, which I really didn't even know about, is that um, uh, I believe in like places like Texas, Texas, et cetera, that Mexican-Americans were also no, well, the Mexicans. Yeah, Mexican-Americans were also getting lynched um, in Texas around the same time periods, too, that usually goes undiscussed as well Mm. wow yeah so it's a lot man it's a lot uh uh, but but kind of following up that that conversation too about the black history um uh, cop topics that you covered uh you also did one on fred hampton which i think is important um because there's a movie in the works right now about fred hampton uh, which is important um so can you talk a little bit about you know why you decided to focus on on fred hampton a little bit and and why you felt it was significant for black history um, because Fred Hampton is an icon, like that's basically it. Like he 
is just so dynamic to me hearing about his life and how at 20 years old he was organizing when I was 20 years old I was not anywhere as sharp as this young man was and I think that just makes him so enamoring to learn about I don't know I wish I would have went more in depth but I'm not a long-winded talker so I try to get in and out but I just I don't know. I felt passionate about him. I think he's cool. I think what he did for the movement as a child, basically, is amazing. And I think more people need to learn about him because I do think in our country specifically, like Martin Luther King is a civil rights, uh, I guess, celebrity. That is a person pretty much anybody that has a basic education knows. I didn't really learn about Fred Hampton when I was in the high school or in college I had to do that own independent thinking or learning on my own so I just wanted to get his story out and let people hear about how the government conspired against him and got him murdered and I just think it was just interesting I think it's an interesting thing to learn about are there any other I guess black history figures or black figures that is on your radar that you do want to pursue um, information about their, um, you know, death? Because uh, like, for instance, I know you're, uh, you said you watched Netflix. There was just a series about who killed Malcolm X, uh, which, you know, he is a more prominent figure, but are there any others that you feel like, hmm, we should get this story out there? Um, I'm actually releasing an episode tomorrow on the bombing of Birmingham that killed black girls. But besides them, I like to cover Asada Shakur. Maybe I'll do her next year or maybe I'll just do her later this year because I think um, her story is interesting as well at seeing how she is currently an FBI fugitive. Um, I think that is an interesting to- a story to tell as well. So those are my two on my my immediate radar, but you, as y'all know, Black History is almost over, so I'm only doing a three-part series, but Sada mm-hmm. is definitely on my radar as well. Yeah, yeah, and again, like like they say, we don't we don't have to confide to just, you know, just February, you know, if you want to talk about it throughout the year, I think that's okay to do as well. Um, uh, yep, yeah. I agree. So you don't have to, to worry about that. And I think, you know, when you're talking about Fred Hampton, that's one of the things that stood out to me too, is how young, you know, 20 years old. And I think it's very important to share stories like that in high school, especially in college, because I think it does empower, you know, our black youth or young adults in a lot of ways to say, hey, you don't have to be 45, 60, 70 to make this change in your community. You can do it right now at the age that you are. And um, I think I don't think we get that message across enough, even when I'm when you mentioned that and I'm trying to think now about, you know, do we really give 20 year olds the kind of shine or empowerment that we need to? Can I think of 20 year olds who are very influential in this current day that, you know, we publicly know that are making the change? I mean, I'm sure there are people making the change, but kind of on that scale that they were back in the day. I mean, even when you talk about people like Tupac and, and Biggie and Aaliyah, all those folks, they were very young, you know, in their early oh, 20s, um, making the kind of change and impact. And it's like, I don't know if we give that same, I guess, space for those early 20-year-olds or do we kind of just push them aside? What are y'all thoughts on that? I have to agree. Like, I think that sometimes 20-year-olds and 
the young 20s aren't given the space. I have to agree with that. I mean, <laughs> because people are be like, well, what do you know? You're only 20 or I've been around longer than you and stuff like that. But, you know, there's power in the youth. So we need to start listening more to what they have to say and maybe help guide them into tailoring their, you know, responses or whatever. But I, I have to agree with you. I don't, I have no rebuttal. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like while leaders can be cultivated, um, there's always room to grow and to build those skills. Some people are natural born leaders and they have a gift in them that needs to be um, that also needs to be cultivated and supported. And I feel like, yes, yeah, sometimes uh, we don't do that for the very same reason that Candace uh, stated. It's just kind of like, what do you know? Because there's the saying like with age comes wisdom but you know we got some old souls out here that we need to listen to (laughs) i agree i agree and like young people have their own unique set of challenges and stuff so i don't think we should just discount them out specifically because they're young and i think in the past that has been an issue but in this age of social media and information sharing, I think it has um, leveraged the the bridge a little bit more or leveraged the gap a little bit more. But that could just be my own bubble that I'm in when it comes to social media, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I would also say I'm noticing like this is moving in a different direction, but same topic. I'm noticing like in this election, when people are talking about like the progressive movement, um, they're often like dismissive toward young people because they feel like they are like more in that uh, progressive camp. And it's like, oh, y'all don't vote anyway. Y'all don't do this. What do y'all know? Um, Y'all just want free stuff. And it's just kind of like, I think it's dangerous (laughs) to have that dismissive attitude toward the younger generation. I think if anything, like how about we, take folks up under our wings if we do think that maybe mm-hmm. they need a little bit more information to make an informed like uh, decision. But I mean, I also remember being 18, 19, 20, and I, I knew, I knew myself, like there was a lot of growth that needed to happen, but I wasn't just like completely misinformed or just completely out there. So um, I see that happening with this election cycle, and I, I think it needs to stop. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I, you know, everything, I think most, you know, millennials and younger world, we're all kind of just like, we just really ready to push these old folks out of there. You know I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's just time. Uh, we want to we see people that have younger faces that are similar to our, you know, our interests up there making decisions. And, um, and I feel like, you know, a lot of them old folks are really just holding on as much as they can because they know their time is, is, is a wrap. I mean, probably my guess will probably be after this upcoming election, I think we're going to start seeing a bigger change as far as who is going to be you know, running for these offices um, and leadership. Um, because think about who we have now, the Bernie's and the Biden's and the Warren. I mean, they're all like 70 plus, you know, um, so that they're kind of, you know, the last of that kind of era. Um, hanging in there, trying to 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 ride on out the progressive coattails, but I think um, after this group, we'll probably start seeing a, a you know we're starting to see the Buddha judges and the Bookers and the Harrises and you know um, start seeing mm-hmm. more folks like that. Will be my prediction, but we'll, we'll see. Um, we're just trying to get Trump out of here right now. I think it'll be good. I definitely think that'll be good. But you know, you said a good point, Daphne. Is that 
I hate the attitude of, well, I didn't have it, so why should you guys have it? So you mean to tell me society shouldn't progress because you didn't have it? Like, that doesn't make sense mm-hmm. to me. It's like a, it's a really weird hill to die on. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. just my personal opinion about some of, like, you know, the boomers or baby boomers or whatever, some of their attitudes towards, like, um, student loan forgiveness, free health care, stuff like that. It's just like, come on, y'all. Like, think of the greater good. Think about how you don't want them saddled down in student loan debt for 70 years. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's just not looking at so, the bigger picture it. and just being a little bitter. Um, although they shouldn't be because they were paying, like, 50 cents for tuition back then. So I'm just like, y'all need to <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah that's the- and their houses were cheaper and everything else like me and my dad were talking I know we're talking about politics but me and my dad were talking and I'm like dad I live in uh, the D.C. Maryland Virginia area and I'm like when you and mom bought a house it was so much cheaper than it is now to buy a house and the rate the cost of living has gone up but your wages have stayed the same. I'm like, it's not the same. It is not the same. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. It's not at all. And I think that's the whole interesting dynamic between, you know, our parents' generation and us is like, they're the ones that voted for all these policies to, to put us where we are right now. So now we're just trying to vote to fix what they've done, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to the housing and the loans and all this other kind of stuff. Because we, mm-hmm. we ain't know what was going on. Um, So they got to reap it a lot is. of the benefits of cheap education, cheap housing. And then now, you know, we, we are on that side where everything is expensive. Now we're trying to get it cheaper for out of the next generation. Exactly. And that's how it should be. Um, because, you know, I, I, sometimes I have conversations with, you know, a lot of my friends are having children and there's a com- there's conversations of, you know, you know, they, they didn't have this kind of like what Daphne was saying. They didn't have this when I was younger or when I was younger, I didn't have this. And so they should, you know, go through this a little bit. But then other people will be like in that debate will be like, well, is that what we want? Shouldn't it be easier for them so that they can excel further and not have to kind of repeat the same mistakes or go through the same exact path? Because that's not really advancement. Right. Um, and so I think a part of it is if you're really trying to look at the big picture, like both of you were saying, is just making sure that the next generation has it easier. So that way we can keep progressing as a society, as a family, however you're trying to look at it, instead of just saying, well, because I didn't have that, they need to go through that same thing, too. Um, in order to feel what I felt. And that's just not the right way to do things, in my opinion. I agree. And meanwhile, they struggled while doing it. They made it seem like it's a cakewalk. No, uh-uh. it was, you were struggling while you were going through it. Why mm-hmm. would you want that for the next generation? And this is what gets me. It's like, okay, knowing what our ancestors went through. Now, imagine if they had that same attitude about the rights and freedoms we got. Oh, well, I mm-hmm. I couldn't vote, so why should they? You know what I mean? That is how I see it. It's like, why would you want to hold back a whole other generation because you had to go through it? Like, that doesn't even make sense. Mm-hmm. Not at all. Mm-hmm. Not at all. Mm-hmm. Well, I, was, this has been cool because we've gone from, like, crime investigation to Black history <laughs> to politics. Like, we, we've talked about quite a few things. Uh, interesting to see how those threads happen. Uh, but, I, you know, I just wanted to give you the floor, give you some space. Like, is there something that we didn't discuss that you really want to get out there about your podcast, you know, about any cases, just about anything? Um, No, I think you guys did a great uh, time interviewing me and talking to me, but I would like for you guys to talk about 
what you guys do and what made y'all start. So therefore, when I put this on my channel, people will come to y'all so we can both be at some <laughs> podcast conferences talking about what we do, hitting up the root picnic or Afro pump or whatever else we got. Hey, yep, yep. Speaking into existence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you won't go deaf for it. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just about to say, you know, I, I completely agree. Want to continue these connections um, because we got to support each other out here in this space, especially, you know, considering like how folks use our stuff to overshadow us. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you for coming on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, with, with our podcast um, for, you know, all the crime noir listeners, you know, Black and Highly Dangerous is a podcast that we created, Daph and I created, because we are academics. You know, um, I have a PhD. Daph is about to have a PhD in a couple months. Uh, and one of the things being an academic in these spaces of higher education, we realized that all this education, all this knowledge we are getting and accumulating, we're like, yo, this is just here. Uh, it's not outside of these spaces. And unless you're privileged enough to go to college and get advanced degrees, which a lot of people just don't do for a lot of reasons. Um, you don't get access to this kind of information. And so Daph and I wanted to create this, what we call, you know, a bridge between academia and the people. Um, because although, you know, everybody, everybody might not go to college and want to go to college, I think there's a general sense that people want to learn about what's going on out there. And there's so many Black professionals, Black researchers out there doing work about our communities that never reaches the masses. And so, you know, our purpose is to take what they're doing and disseminate it in a manner that's digestible because also in academia, a lot of the jargon and all that kind of stuff can get real technical. All that. So we bring these academics on and just have them make sense of it, you know, from things dealing with natural hair, right? We see that all these natural hair policies have been getting passed and we have, you know, uh, lawyers that have been working on the front lines of this with natural hair policy and, and hair and the workplace and all that kind of stuff that have led to these things. You know, we have people that do work on health. We have people that do work on politics. We have people that do work on, you know, one of our more popular episodes is uh, what does it mean to sound black? Right. Because we know as black folks, there's this mm. thing called code switching. And we had a social linguist on who has a Ph.D. And people probably would never have gotten into any kind of interaction or had a discussion with a sociolinguist. Um, and her research focuses on that kind of stuff, on black intonation and what does it mean to sound black and code switching and all those kind of great things. And so it's just great to have. We want to have this space and be a resource for people. Hey, I just want to, you know, we, I listen to podcasts, all different kind of podcasts, educational podcasts entertainment podcast things just want to have fun and laugh whatever it is and i'm sure that sometimes people just say hey i want to i feel like learning something new today and especially for us black folks it's sometimes hard to do that and so me and daff are just trying to make it a little bit easier for anyone wanting to take part in that agree i actually think that's really great because go ahead oh, no 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 you you continue candace um, I actually think that's great because for people like me who are trying to be like more socially aware, I always don't get the Twitter talk, you know what I mean? Like what people are saying on Twitter that I consider educated in the matter. So it's great to have somebody break down what it means or why it's important, stuff like that. So I definitely think what you guys are doing is great. And I'm looking forward to working with you guys and just getting my listeners to come to you guys and learn something because we all could be better and learn more and just be better members of society and the community if we learn 
why things function or why this is important is et cetera. Yeah. Um, so thinking about, you know, of course, iTunes and uh, different platforms that they can find or listen to uh, Crime Noir, you know, where can they reach you if they want to connect with you? If they want to say, hey, I want to know more about this case. Can you do an episode on that? Um, how do they do that? Um, my Instagram is Crime Noir, the podcast. Um, I'm on iTunes, Spotify. I'm on Stitcher. I'm on SoundCloud. Um, you can tweet me at CrimeXNoir. I also have a website, too, which is Crime Noir, the podcast. If you want to do a case suggestion, you could DM me. You could go to my website and fill out a subscription. You could tag me in something. I keep, like, a little spreadsheet of all the cases that have been suggested for me. So they don't get lost, you guys. They don't get lost. And that's it. I'm pretty accessible. I mean, if anybody wants to talk, people talk to me all the time, pretty much all day about something they read or an episode. So, like, I'm pretty accessible to reach. And I hope, you know, you guys come and check me out and let me know what you thought. Um, I do take criticism, too. Um, so if you didn't like something I said, uh, that's fine, too. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. That's important. And we'll be sure to make that easy for our listeners. And we'll plug all that stuff <laughs> on the, um, our description of your social media handle, website, and all that kind of stuff. So they can just head to our website as well and just click on it and have direct access to all the, the handles you just mentioned and website. Okay, sounds good. Um, all right, any, anything else, Daph? We good? No, I think we're good. Thank you so much right, for coming well, on, Candice. Thank you for taking the time. Oh, to come. I did. Thanks for having me, y'all. I enjoyed this a lot. <laughs> no, it was great. It was great. And all our listeners definitely check out Crime Noir. It's a great podcast. Um, and it's like Daphne and I haven't listened to a lot of the episodes, and we really, really thoroughly enjoy it. And we're glad that you're doing the work that you're doing, Candace. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you.